0: Yeah, we are, we are extremely, extremely um, grateful for the, uh, the time that we live in. You know, our culture changes quickly, and part of it is because it can, because we have people who are on the cutting edge of their ways of thinking, generally when even devices come out like, a, like an iPhone compared to that phone that was up there. I mean, what's it been, a little over 10 years 10, 12, 15, 20 now? Is it up to 20? Geez. All right, now I'm old. So um, I'd like it to be only 10 years. Uh, but, uh, you know, those kind of things, as culture changes and those kind of things, it's it's all, about, it's all about change and going with the change. And you can choose not to, or you can choose to do it. And if you choose not to, you kind of get left behind. Um, i was I was reading a magazine it 's called collide it 's a uh, it 's a whole magazine on christian culture and uh, technology and all those kind of things like that and i found uh, there's a there's a college in uh, i don 't remember even where it was at it was called uh, Beloit, beloit college b e l o i t uh, in wisconsin and they put together a list every year for the incoming class of freshmen college freshmen of things that their life included and didn't include to show the way things have changed. This is what it says. an attempt at capturing cultural awareness of the college incoming freshmen, this year's list paints a portrait of the class of 2014, most of whom were born in 1992. According to the list, most of the class avoids using email because it's too slow. They've only known computers with CD and now DVD-ROM drives, and they've always had a stable of cable television channels to watch. The kids view technology different than the rest of us. They grew up in a cell phone-driven world where wristwatches are redundant, and that got us thinking. Here's some of the things that they didn't even ever use or they've always had in their life. They've always had Internet in their life. And to go even beyond that, they've always had Wi-Fi as a part of their lives, which is kind of a crazy thing to think about. They have no idea what a phone book really is or how to use one. Um, Cassette tapes, floppy disks, any of the floppy disks, from hard or the soft five and a quarter inch ones. Pay phones, CD clubs. You guys remember having CD clubs, Columbia House CD clubs? They don't even know any of those kind of things like that. Home phones, pagers. Remember back when pagers were cool and everybody had to have one? Yeah, pagers, alarm clocks, cameras that take film. All things, all things that these guys have, have gone far and above and beyond. You know, texting is the way they communicate, blogging online video. They've never seen a computer that had less than four gig of RAM. Um, and for those of you who are computer people, you understand, you, you kind of giggle a little bit about that. But it, it's amazing to me, um, most of them, unless their their grandparents had one, didn't have a floor TV, a TV that actually sat on the floor, you know, those kind of things like that. And it really kind of got me thinking about um, this, this week's message. And it, it's learn humbly. And as we look at it, and we look at, at the way that we really learn, what what ways set in and really kind of set the standard for us in the way that we learn? Generally, it's when we have been kind of smacked in the face with the reality, and we're like, oh, yeah, it, it sinks in, that, that humility of learning versus that pride, pridefulness of learning. And as we look at it, as we get into it, um, I want to ask you this question. Can somebody tell me, or does anybody know our motto? What is it? That's right. Come as you are, be changed, go change the world. Well, each and every one of us that are sitting in this room right now came exactly as we are. Some of you are 100% honest with who you are and exactly how you need to be. And some of you in here, you're putting on a mask. But at the same time, either way, you're exactly as you are and you came here. But how do we change? That second part of the motto come as you are, be changed. How do we change? What do we do? As a matter of fact, next week, we're going to talk about going and changing the world. That's going to be our our theme for next week. But how do we change? How does it happen for us? How does something like this take place? Um, Do we enable ourselves to become more like Christ, or do we enable ourselves to become more like the world? You know, um, one of the things that that I looked at in, in this, and was talking to some people about, I think the hardest thing about changing from from being a world follower to a Christ follower, is all the things the world has to offer. Because there is so much that is out there. It, it's almost like an addiction. And I, I, thankfully, have never done any drugs. I've never smoked any cigarettes. And I have, I have never uh, drank alcohol other than the one time my aunt slipped a little red wine at Christmas when I was in high school. That, that's the only time I've ever done it. So just call me a sinner now and I'll we'll get over it. Um, the, uh, the idea, though, is i never had any of those problems, but I've met so many people to have. I've had family members that have had problems with being addicted to those things. And every time you go through and you're trying to break away from it, there's just that time that you want to go back. There's just that time where you you feel like I'm just not getting my fix. You know, And we need our world fixed sometimes when we're Christians. How do we continue to change to walk away from the world and become what Christ wants us to be? What does it take to change? How hard is it to change? You know, as we look at culture, culture changes constantly. It's constantly changing. Sometimes it's reverting back to old styles, like I said, but most of the time we're pushing forward. If somebody really whipped out one of those phones and was like, hey, i got to make a phone call real quick, we'd all be like, hang on, let me get my phone out for you instead of that thing that you could kill a person with. You know, um, the, uh, the idea is, is, is things are constantly changing, and we need to be changing but is our, is our ability to change the same as culture's ability to change? Are we following suit? What are we doing? How is that happening? Um, I got to thinking about if I wanted to change myself physically, what would I do? If I wanted to change myself physically, I'd go get a gym membership, right? I would go to the gym and I would sit and I would watch everybody else work out. <laughs> and I would enjoy a protein shake talking to the guy behind the counter and I would just walk out, and I'd, I'd be like, hey, I feel good. I went to the gym today. You know, that's, that's not going to work, right? I mean, but the funny thing is, is if we really look at that, if we get right down to the brass tacks of it all, you look at that, that's the way we treat church sometimes. We say, hey, I want to spiritually change. I want to grow closer to Christ. I want to do this thing. And we go in, and we sit for 45 minutes. And, and I'm sorry about that. Lately, I've been going a little long. But um, we sit for 45 minutes. And we, we hear a message and we say, yeah, that sounds great. And we watch everything else. And then we walk out and we go back to our regular routine. Well, if I worked out physically for 45 minutes one time a week, I might get a little bit of a result. But it's not going to be anything that's earth-shattering or life-changing. If I went down to Walmart and said, hey, I'm going to go into the sports section. I'm going to get myself a headband. I'm going to get myself some rec, uh, wristbands and some specs. You know, if I'm going to do that, and if you're old enough, you know what specs are. Um, if I went and did that, I might look good. I might put on a pretty face, and everybody would be like, hey, that guy's a real, real athlete, you know, because uh, that's what real athletes wear is headbands and sweatbands and rec-specs. Um, If I did that, if I walked in and, and did that, people would just say, okay, yeah, prove it now. It doesn't matter what you look like. It matters what you're actually doing, and that's the same way it is spiritually. You know, the other thing we also need is we need a leader in the field to kind of show us what to do, because if I walked in, if I walked into to Charter Fitness, you know, I just got a thing in the mail for Charter Fitness. It was like $10 a month. It's over there by the old Kmart on, on 528. If I went in there and said, yeah, you know, what? I'd like to sign up. I'd like to be a part of this. And I just started messing around on machines. There's a pretty good chance I'm going to hurt myself. Pretty good chance I'm not going to work the muscles that I need to. I'm going to find a leader in the field. I might read a magazine. I might go and get a trainer. I might do something along those lines to make sure I was doing it right. Same thing spiritually. We have a leader in the field. He led us 2,000 years ago by coming down and being a man. And he showed us exactly what to do and how to do it and told us what to do and how to do it. Now we just have to put it into practice. That is how we change. That is where we get to being closer to Christ. And, um, you know, this is, this is something that might be earth-shattering news to you. It might be one of those things that you're just, wow, that's amazing, yeah. And some, for others it might just be, yeah, you're right. If you are not changing, you are probably not following. Or at least not following very closely. If you are not changing, you're probably not following, or you're not following very closely. And I hate to break that to you, but you already know that. Because if you are following Christ, if you are right there with Christ, He is changing from the inside out. He's changing you. He's changing those around you. He's changing through you. He's changing in you. There's so many things that are going on when we are following Christ and you know it, you see it, you feel it, and guess what? It's a process that takes time. It's not a magical prayer that you say, yeah, God, come in and change my life. Boom, you're done. Your life is changing. You can go on doing do whatever you want to do. It's a process. It's not a one-time fix. It's a process. As a matter of fact, it's a lifelong journey. If you really look at it, it is a lifelong journey. As we talk about learning humbly. One book of the Bible comes to mind, and that book of the Bible is a book of Philippians. And in October, we're going to be going through, at the end of October, October 31st and through the rest of the year, we're going to be going through the book of Philippians. But today I want to take just a quick little brief look at the book of Philippians and something that has to do with humility. And some of you might be thinking, oh, you must be talking about Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about the humility of Christ and how he came down and and poured poured out his blood on the cross and that stuff. Actually, I'm not. I'm actually going to talk about Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, um, verses 10 through 14. And you can open your Bibles up to it right now, but before we get to it, um, I want to talk about Paul. I'm not sure how many of you have had an opportunity to sit and really read about Paul, to check out the life of Paul. I would say, personally, that if, if, um, if Paul were in in the realm of of, uh, Christ followers worldwide ever lived, that Paul would probably be top number one or number two, maybe behind John the Baptist. I can't think of anybody else that would be that way. Paul did some amazing, amazing stuff. You know, he literally met Jesus face to face after Jesus had had, uh, died and raised again on the road to Damascus. You think I preached long? Paul was preaching one night. And he preached so long that a guy on the third story fell asleep in the window, fell out, died. Landed on his head, died. It's in Acts chapter 20 if you want to read about it. Fell out and he died. Paul stopped preaching, went down, brought him back to life, went up and started preaching until daylight. If you think I preach long, just be glad that I'm not Paul, okay? Um, This guy was amazing. He walked closely with Christ, As a matter of fact, in that book of Philippians, probably one of the main things we all know, if you've been in church for any amount of time at all, to live is what? Christ. That's what he talks about in Philippians. To live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ. Not if to live is to be like Christ, to live is Christ. That's an amazing thing that we look at. And before we get into Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 7, I'd like to pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for today. We thank you that, that God, you speak to us through your word. And Lord, you use people just like us, people like Paul, to help teach us how to walk closer with you. Open our eyes and open our hearts to what you have for us this morning. We pray it all in your name. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, but we're going to really focus on 10 through 14. It says, but whatever Now into verse 10, it says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That is powerful stuff that he's writing there. That is powerful stuff when we look at his life and we're saying, this is Paul, the guy I just labeled probably the number one or number two Christ follower ever to live. And what's he say? What is verse 10, the very first thing? Just leave those verses up there for me if you would, please, wait. Wait. Um, Right there it says, I want to know Christ. Period. I want to know Christ. The man that is number one wants to know Christ. Not, not, well, I know Christ really, really well, better than all of you, so I think I've reached the peak of Christianity. It's I want to know Christ. I want to know him more. So if Paul says that, who is one of the greatest followers of Christ ever, do you think that goes for us as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if Paul says it, if Paul says it, it should go for us. What does he want us to know? How does he want to become more like Christ? Well, if we read the rest of verse ten and eleven, it says he wants to know Christ through the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Do you see that? Have we ever prayed that? God, you know what? I really want to get to know you better by sharing in your sufferings. That's not something that's on the top of our mind. That's not something that's on our heart that says, no, it's I want to be comfortable. That's our mentality. That's what we want to have. But it says, I want to know him through the sharing of his sufferings. I want to become like him in what? Death. I want to become like him. And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Then he goes on in verse 12 to say, I press on with Christ. I press on with Christ. He is changing me and conforming me to become more like him. Has anybody ever run like a race before, like a long race, maybe a marathon. I, I'm a marathon runner, as you guys can tell. But I actually have friends that do, and they tell me about it, and I'm like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And for those of you who raised your hand, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I said that out loud. But why would I want to run 26.2 miles? The original guy who ran it died when he got there. That doesn't sound like fun to me. And uh, do you have to physically take... They, they were showing me this packet. It was like some sort of weird goo that you eat about, I don't know, eight, nine miles into it, and you squeeze it into your mouth, and it, oh, yeah, I feel better now. Well, if your body's telling you to stop, maybe you should stop. You know, instead of forcing it and tricking it with goo, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. That, that's, maybe that's just because I'm fat and that's my mentality. I don't know. I don't know. And maybe you guys who like to run it, that, that's a good thing for you. But when you hit that part, you have to press on to get to the next thing. When, when Paul says, I need to press on, he's telling us this is not an easy thing. This is not something that is comfortable in what we're doing. And we have to press on. And then he goes on in verse 13, he says, forgetting what is behind. You know, if, if I were running a marathon, I'd be like, hey, I, I ran a mile. I haven't done that in a long time. I'm good. And I could stop there if I wanted to. But that's not what he's saying. He says, you know, we have to forget what's behind. Sometimes as Christians we say, well, you know what? I gave to Compassion International last week. You know, I feel pretty good about myself. I'm going to pat myself on the back. I'm going to give to TJ this week. and I'm going to feel pretty good about that. And then we're going to, we're going to be able to rest on that. Or I went on a mission trip once, and, and I went down to Brazil. With, this is the true thing. And, and 700 people gave their lives to Christ. And that, you know what? That was good enough for me. I'm good. He says, forget what's behind. Not just the bad stuff, but also the good stuff. And don't rest on that, but press on to what's going to happen next. Press on to reach out to more people. Press on. Then he says he's straining towards what's ahead. Straining towards what's ahead. I mean, these verbs in here, this is a passage that I think I've read as a youth pastor a a couple hundred times because this is just a a common one that you use to challenge people and, and push people on. And you see that, and it says straining for what's ahead. I mean, that has anybody ever strained before? When you're, when you're trying to max out in weightlifting, guys that have ever done that, you strain. And the veins pop out in your neck and your forehead. And you start getting these real bad pains in your stomach. And you're just, you know, and you're just working. It and you're straining hard. Well, that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. He says to strain for what is ahead. Not to sit comfortably and let it come to you. To work out to do it. Not to go into the gym and sit and drink your protein shake and talk to the people behind the counter, but to work out and make it happen. To do it. To push on. To push on and see how to, how to practically grow in Christ. And today I'm going to give you eight things. Eight things to practically grow in Christ. Eight things to say these are things that may not be easy, you may not like to do it. It may interrupt your time, but it's about pressing on and moving to the next level. It's about pressing on and growing in Christ. So here are the eight things. And if you have a note page, um, you know what I just got to thinking about? You guys don't have a note page because I printed them and I didn't bring them because they were supposed to go in there. Did I stuff them? Did I? Di- okay, I did. Yeah, it's been a long, I slept yesterday. Um, the, uh, so you do have them, and you'll see there's verses below each one. And in the verses there, those are not verses we're going to go through this morning, because if we did, um, I would miss the Packers game, and we're not going to do that. So what I want to do, what I want to do is I want to challenge you, challenge you this morning to this week, take time and read through those verses, to take time and go through those verses about each one of these points. Because as you see, point number one is read your Bible. Point number one is read your Bible. Of the eight things, Read your Bible. If you really want to hear God's voice, you know, I hear so many people say, you know, I'd really like to hear God's voice and what I'm, what I'm supposed to do here. Well, reading your Bible, reading your Bible isn't going to tell you what school to go to. And reading your Bible isn't going to tell you where to move to. And reading your Bible isn't going to tell you what car to buy. And reading your Bible isn't going to tell you those kind of things like that. But what it is going to do, it's going to tell you who God is. And it's going to help you understand who God is. So when you understand who God is, you can make those other decisions on your own. When you understand who God is and what He wants for your life, you can make those decisions. So as we look at that, as we think about that, as we get into it, reading your Bible is something we need to do. Because when we do, everything else falls into place. Psalm 119, 105 says, God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Which tells us what? It's a guide. It's a guide and it's taken us there. I don't know one single person that's walking with Jesus that isn't reading on a daily basis. Or that their walk with Jesus isn't affected if they're not reading on a daily basis. And that's me included. I can tell you the days... And how my attitude changes if I didn't get up and do my reading that, that morning. And you could probably see it too. If you hung out with me enough and hung out with me on a daily basis, you could say, hey, you didn't read this morning, did you? And would be like, no, why? You know? <laughs> you know? Th- that's kind of our attitude towards it all. We think that, oh, you know, as, lo- I, as long as I get my fix, I get my spiritual fix. If you want to know God and you want to hear what he's saying and you want to grow closer to him, read his word. Read his word. Um, some of you are like, well, I don't know how. I've never, never been taught. I've never been told how to do that. The great thing about that internet thing that we talked about that, that these kids that are now going to college have never been without, the great thing is if you type in Bible reading plan in Google or something like that, you can get all sorts of things. My favorite one is uversion.com. And if you have an iPhone or, or a phone that gets apps and things like that, uversion.com is actually out of a church in, in Oklahoma City and they set it all up. But... Um, it actually syncs with your phone and with uh, your computer and things like that. It all kind of ties together. And as it ties together, it, it lays out, if I want to read certain amount of passages in a month, in six months, in a year, if I want to read Jesus' journey, if I want to read all these things, you can choose what you want to do and how you want to get into it. It'll take you through a book, whatever you want to do. There's so many different things out there. So I would challenge you to get in, into one of those if you don't know how to read. I would not say start in Genesis And go through from there. Because by the time you hit numbers, you're going to quit. Trust me, okay? I've done it. I've been there. So I would say do something like that. And I would say get into reading your Bible. Second thing is this. Pray. Pray. Prayer is our communication with God. If you are not communicating with God, how can you expect to be growing with Him in your relationship with Him? If I don't communicate with my wife, our relationship is going to have a strain. If I'm not communication with God, our relationship is going to have a strain. You see, Jesus, Jesus who was God, and God was also his Father, which for those of you who haven't been in church in a while or ever might be a little confused by that, and we can talk about that later. But um, Jesus, he began his earthly ministry in the book of Matthew. He began his earthly ministry in the book of Matthew with a baptism. He was baptized by John the Baptist. And guess what he did right after that? Anybody know? 40 days. Give you a little hint. He went and fasted and prayed. He went and fasted and prayed because he knew that his earthly ministry was beginning and he knew that he had to have the right mindset and he knew these things and he wanted to fast and pray. But the thing is, that wasn't when it stopped either. He didn't say, all right, I'm done. I've got it. If you look throughout the Gospels, Jesus is constantly praying or teaching about prayer, but he's praying to God, and, and even to the very end, even to the very end, he goes before God, and he says, guess what? God, if, if there's any other way to save these people, I would like that. But, and maybe these aren't the exact words he's using, but, but I'm sure that's probably what's going through his mind. He says, but you know, it's not, it's not about me, and it's about you, so if this is the way we need to do it, this is the way we need to do it. And that's exactly what happened. But he was in constant communication Constant communication with God. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you really took time to pray? And I don't mean grace before dinner. And I don't mean, God, help me get through this test I didn't study for. Or help my boss to not see the things that he needs to see through my review. That's not the kind of prayers I'm talking about. I'm talking about when did you get down on your knees and on your face before God and say, God, whatever whatever you want to fill in the blank there. When was the last time you've done that? When was the last time you decided to skip a meal and say, instead of worrying about myself and my nourishment, I want to take this time to really focus on what God would have for me and how God wants to lead me. You know, I mentioned last week about moving to Cleveland. We've been praying hard about that. And it, it's a, not, not Cleveland-like there, I mean like Cleveland, a couple blocks away, Cleveland, um, like Cleveland High School to meet on Sunday mornings. And I know some of you weren't here last week, but we talked about that as a possibility because if we're going to reach the 10,000 people in the next 10 years that we talked about, well, this isn't going to do. And we need to start making our way towards that. And and whether to do it now, whether to wait, we want to be in God's plan there, not in our own. We want to be following God's lead, not our own ego. And that takes prayer. And we want you guys to pray for us. I asked you last week to pray for, for Scott and I and our wives and our kids and Laura and all the things that are going on in this church that we're not doing it out of our own power, not doing it out of our own ego, but we're doing it because God has called us to do it. So I want to challenge you to be praying. Have you bothered to get into God's Word and fast and pray to see where God's leading? If you haven't, it's probably part of the reason why you're not growing. The third thing is, is this, is baptism. 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 Baptism is the first thing that Jesus commanded. It's the first thing that Jesus commanded of people when they identify with him, they need to follow him in a public profession of faith through baptism. Two weeks ago, we were able to do that. You guys mind running the video? Now, the, uh, this morning, as of this morning, we've baptized 14 people in uh, in the four or five months that we've been at church, which is very exciting. Very exciting. And um, I, I'm not trying to, to say anything, but I'm just glad what God is doing, because I've been to churches that haven't baptized people in years. When it comes down to baptism, like I said, there, there's so many things that we say and so many things that, that we, uh, we try and do. But getting baptized, getting baptized, it happens after you're saved by immersion. Happens after you're saved by immersion. Twenty-seven different times in the New Testament, baptism is mentioned, and in those times, it is after you're saved by immersion. I don't know where you're at. Um, maybe that was you who had gotten baptized as a baby. I kind of maybe hit something there when I was talking, um, and, and you say, "Well, th- that's me. I- I'm good. I- I've been baptized." Uh, you haven't. You've been you've been a, a-, a wet sinner. That's, that's what you were. Uh, you know, that's kind of where we're at. And when we, when we say those kind of things, like um, the, the idea of being baptized, it's all about after you're saved by immersion. It's a public profession of faith. And I want to challenge you that if you have not been baptized yet, it's time. It's time. If you know uh, that you, maybe you're afraid of upsetting your family because you come from a different tradition, Jesus himself says in, in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 36, that he did not come to bring peace but a what? Does anybody know? A sword. I come to bring. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to, to bring a sword. And he's talking about the division of a family because there's going to be people that are upset that you're following Jesus, and those people are probably going to be inside of your house. And as we look at that and we think about that, who did you choose to follow? Did you choose to follow mom, or did you choose to follow Jesus? And that—that's a hard thing to do and a hard thing to swallow and those kind of things. I came from the same thing. My family was was a heavily Roman Catholic family. And when I got baptized when I was 13, it was kind of like, what are you doing that? You got baptized when you were a baby. The priest did it for you. And having to explain it to them and have to go through those kind of things like that and have some of our family members be upset that we we had left that and went to to Christianity and, and the belief in following Jesus, that's just one of the things that had to happen. That's that sword that Jesus is talking about. Who do you want to honor more, Jesus or Mom? Who do you agree to follow? Jesus, her mom. That's the question you have to ask. It's not a command. It's not an option. And guess what? That's not even something you have to pray about. It's following Christ in believer's baptism. If you haven't done that yet, I would suggest today that we talk about it before it gets too cold because that pool's going to get chilly soon. Um, <laughs> number four. Number four, regular church attendance. Regular church attendance or attending church. The church is Christ's body. And John 15 says that if you are not attached to him, you will not bear fruit. You will not grow, you will not mature, you will not strengthen. Hebrews 10 talks about continuing to meet together to strengthen one another. We are called to att- attend church. Now that's not all we're called to do. Some people think that's all we're called to do. That's not the only thing it is, that's why it's point number four here. but we are called to attend church. If it's not here, if you're like, I really, I really can't get into this, then don't. Go somewhere you can. Go somewhere that can challenge you. Go somewhere that will grow you. I'm okay with that. I'm okay if people say, well, I, I really don't like your church. Great. There's a church out there that you can like and you can grow and you can serve and you can get involved in. Go there. But don't give up on God. Don't give up on that. Don't say, hey, I'm just going to do this. or I'm going to sit. I don't really like the idea of doing church online. I don't really like that i know there's a lot of churches that do it and it's reaching people and that's great and I'm, I'm happy for it but i don't like that idea because i don't think people get get connected i don't think people are doing those kind of things like that that's why i'm such a big proponent of connection groups because even with the 80 to 100 people that we have sitting here and as we grow it's going to get bigger as we do those things there's got to be a place for you to connect at and to be as the bible say men have iron sharpened iron and, and we grow with one another and help each other through their struggles. You know, each of us are here through a different path. Some of you have gone through some rough stuff in your life. Some of you have come out of different backgrounds. I don't know where you're at and I don't know what what brought you here, but the thing is we're all here together. And we're all here and we're all struggling in different areas of our lives. And that thing is is that is when um, sometimes we say, you know, I just don't think I can do it. I don't feel like I'm in the same place. Well, we're not. We're not all in the same place. But that's why we have what we talked about a few weeks ago or months ago now, uh, having a Paul and having a Timothy, having somebody who will invest in your life and having somebody's life that you can invest in, help them grow and help them in that area. Sometimes when it comes to attending church, we say, oh, well, I already know the the topic today. Mm, I don't need to hear that. Be careful not to play God. Be careful not to do that. Understand that God can talk to you at any point in time in any sort of way. That's one of the great things. Like I said, each of us in here are in a different place. But at the same time, God can work this mysterious, magical way out that he can speak to each and every one of us where we're at. I don't know how he does it, but he does. He does it every time. So I suggest that you hear what God has to say, that you attend church, that you get involved. The fifth thing is, is confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. And this is probably the most difficult one of all of them. But Jesus isn't after our behavior. That's like Scott was saying right up front. He's not even after our money. He's after our hearts. He's after our hearts. And I'll tell you, when the Holy Spirit does open heart surgery on you without anesthesia, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. And the thing is, is that, that's what he's doing. There's going to be times in our life where it just really hurts to hear, to confess, to repent. But that's what he wants. That's what causes change. God will talk to you where he wants you to change. It's funny because some people will say, well, the only thing you ever talk about is this. And I'll say, well, that's what God wants you to hear. That's what he wants you to hear. Every person here today, like I said, has something different in their lives that's going on. What's between you and Jesus right now that you need to confess and repent of? What do you need to confess to him? What's keeping you from changing? Because you cannot follow Jesus and stay the same. So what's the thing that's getting in the way? What idol is in your heart right now? I've never, I've never seen it uh, more clear than this. Has anybody ever met a person that's been a Christian for a good 30 years that's just best word I can think of is a total jerk? I have. I've met people that have sat in the church and they're just as crusty and as mean as anybody can be. And you're like, how in the world did God save that guy? And sometimes you wonder, did he? Because I think the reason why people get so crusty and and so mean and and bitter and all those kind of things like that that are able to sit in the church is because they have never confessed and repented and allowed God to do an open-heart surgery on them. I challenge you not to be that guy. I challenge you that when Paragon is 30 years old and you're sitting there and you're like, I was one of the founding members of this church and you people are, you know, and, and there's a big fight that goes on and all the things because change is taking place and culture is changing and we're not because we're stuck in our ways and, and there's grumpy people doing that. Don't be that guy. I don't see myself here in 30 years. That means I'd be 64 and I think I'm going to die of a heart attack in my 50s. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm starting to get a little worked up right here right now, as a matter of fact. So good thing Hal's here. Mouth to mouth, right? Yeah, we're good? Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, oh, just compressions now. Okay, sorry, sorry. I was going to put a piece of gum in just in case. But um, you know what? What idols are in our way? What idols are causing us to be grumpy and not want to move with change and not want to not want to follow what Christ is doing? That's the question. Number six: giving, giving. Yep, it had to come up. If you want to grow closer to Christ, you have to be willing to give. Um, I come from Arizona. There are two teams in Arizona if you're a college football fan. You either cheer for U of A, which is University of Arizona down in Tucson, or you cheer for ASU, which is up in Tempe near Phoenix. You don't cheer for both. Because if you do, you're not a real fan. For those of you from Texas, yesterday was probably a difficult pill to swallow. But it's not like you said, well, I'm glad OU beat us, so I hope they go on to win the national championship. No, you want them to lose the College of William and Mary next week. That's what you want them to do because that's who you are. You don't cheer for both teams. You don't pull for both. When the Packers play against the Vikings, I'm not saying, well, you know, I really still do like Brett Favre, so I'm okay if the Vikings win. No, I'm not. I want them to break his legs, okay? (laughs) That's what I want, and that's what we want. We, We are not pulling for two teams here. Real fans don't pull for two teams at the same time. I'm sorry, I've just hurt some of your feelings. But God talks about that in Matthew chapter six, verse twenty one. It says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew six twenty four says no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't cheer for two teams. If you love your money, it means you probably don't love God very much. And if you love God, you're okay with giving. And I know that's a hard thing to say and a hard thing to take, and I, I talked about giving for the last three weeks, and I promise it's not because we want to move to Cleveland. I promise that. It just has all fallen into line with what we're talking about. You can't serve both God and money. Some people think God's number one competitor is Satan. It's not. It's money. It's money because that's the thing that detracts us from everything that is God. Faithfully giving to Him is part of faithfully following Him. He gave all for us. Remember that. Number seven, sharing Christ. Found people, find people is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. That brings us closer to Christ. We will grow in our faith if we're sharing Christ. Philemon 1, six says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. If you share your faith, you'll have an understanding of who God is. When you and I learn to share our faith, it's going to blow your mind. It will literally blow your mind when you learn to share your faith. Sharing Christ imparts life. It gives life. It gives hope. Sharing Christ does that. I shared last week about reaching 10,000 people in the next 10 years. Guess who I don't want to reach? The people that are already at church. I don't want to be the church that everybody like, hey, I like, I like the way that church is doing things, so we're going to bring people in. I want to reach the 91% of New Mexicans that don't know Christ. That's who I want to reach. I want to reach the 91% of New Mexicans that aren't a part of a church that don't know Christ's love. That's where the 10,000 are going to come from. Not from transfer growth, but from actual, real growth. People growing and knowing Christ. That's what I want to do. Sharing Christ, number seven. And number eight is serving. Number eight is serving. We talked about it last week as well, that save people, serve people. God gave all. Look at this reminder. Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. You may have heard this a time or two before. It says, he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. He broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took, a, took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed which my, with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. One of my favorite things that we do here is our communion service. I think it's a great time of remembrance, remembering what Christ has done for each of us. I'm not sure if you'll ever be able to look God in the eye. Because angels can't even do it now. They have to cover their eyes when they're standing before Him. But I don't think there's ever going to be a time that we're standing before God, and whether we're on our knees, on our faces, whatever it is, and be able to say, God, I appreciate you sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. I appreciate the fact that you have given me the gifts that you did. I appreciate the fact that you have empowered me with the Holy Spirit in my life, so much so that that Holy Spirit was the same one that did all the amazing things in the Bible, and he lives within me. But I couldn't give you an hour a month to work in the nursery. I couldn't give you an hour a month to serve in some capacity somewhere. That's a little difficult to think, that we could even think about doing that. What can you do? You were called to serve Him. I was called to serve Him. The thing is, we weren't requested. We were called. We were called to use our gifts in a way to serve Him. What can you do? I want you to understand something. We need to be growing in Christ. These eight things aren't some magical formula. It's probably not like I just blew your mind and you said, wow, I didn't know that those are the things that I had to do to grow closer to Christ. I just pointed out the obvious to you this morning. I just pointed out the obvious obvious to you this morning, and I think that that we need to understand who God is and what he has done for us. If you're a first-time guest and never been to church before, never heard anything about Christ before, I want to talk to you this morning. I want to talk to you about the greatest man who ever walked this planet and about what he did and why he did it. I want to talk to you. If you are here and you've been here for weeks and months and you're just kind of sitting, I want to talk to you as well. If you're not moving closer to Christ, then you're probably moving further. I want to talk to you as well. I want to challenge you. I want to take the next step and see what God is doing. I want to challenge you today to read your Bible, to pray, to get baptized if you haven't already, to get involved in church, to confess and repent the sin that's coming between you and God, to give, to share Christ, and to serve Him. That's what I want to challenge you to do today. If you want to live a full life, remember back at the very beginning when we talked about this, we said, hey, your days are numbered, and Christ came to give you a full life. John 10.10, 10, I came life so you could have it abundantly. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came so you could have a life to the fullest and live it in abundance. This is how it happens, is to grow closer to Him. These are the things we must do. These are the things we must learn humbly. As we talk about learning humbly today, these are the things you have to do humbly because when our pride gets in the way, when our ego gets in the way, when our own ideas and our own agenda get in the way, those are things that step in between us and God. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to live the life that Christ wants you to live. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you've given him to us as a sacrifice for the sins that we've committed. Lord, there's people in here that don't know you. There's people in here that don't understand why you would do that. And Lord, I pray that you're opening their eyes to everything that there is. I pray that you're opening their eyes to exactly who you are and why you did what you did. God, I know that you're moving this morning. I know that you're speaking this morning. I pray, Lord, that you move people to where you want them to be. We pray it in your name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to stand. I want to give you an opportunity to to come forward so I can pray with you. I want to give you an opportunity that maybe you need to confess and repent. And that doesn't have to be with me. That's between you and God, and you can sit down with Him right there in your chair. You can get on your knees in your chair. It, it doesn't matter to me how you want to do it. It just matters to me that you do do it. If you know that you have something that's come between you and God, that you need to get it right. It's plain and simple. Scott's got a new song called Humble King that he, uh, he wanted to introduce. And I don't know if you want to sing along or just hear the words. Hear the words of what this song is saying and what Christ did for us and how that we need to learn from him. So as we sing, come forward. I want to pray with you or pray at your chair.